Hello, my name is Matthew Pfeiffer. Thank you for listening to Toxic to Triumph. On this episode, I'm going to be talking with the lovely Tina Swithin, who is an author, and she also coaches people on how to divorce and co-parent with a narcissist. I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you, and I will talk to you soon. Everyone struggles with anxiety, sleeplessness, and physical pain from time to time but this could not be any more true than when someone's leaving a toxic relationship. This is the reason why I partnered with Healer. Healer has supplements available for anxiety, sleeplessness, and physical pain. It doesn't take away the pain, but it does help make pain, anxiety, and sleeplessness more manageable. If you've been following me for a while, you know that I say you have to feel it to heal it. You do have to process You do have to manage your anxiety. You do have to manage your pain. You do have to manage your sleeplessness, but you can still have the support needed for those situations because it can be overwhelming, especially when you're dealing with the dramatic effects of a toxic relationship. Go to the link in my bio. You can see it, Healer. And if you use the discount code MAT20, you can have 20% off of any product that they offer. Hello, my name is Matthew Pfeiffer. Thank you for joining Toxic to Triumph. I'm here with a very special guest. I'm here with Tina Swithin, and she is an author. She is a divorce coach. She's out of California, and she is also a family court advocate. You can find her on One Mom's Battle. She is also on TikTok. She is, are you on um, Instagram too? I am, yeah. And uh, you can, and, and she helps people with custody battles, with co-parenting, and uh, we are right on the same team. So I'm excited to have her and looking forward to this conversation. And Tina, if you just want to take over, if you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, my name is Tina Swithin. I am out of California. Um, but my, my story started here in California in 2009 when my therapist had dropped three little words on my lap that helped to explain my whole marriage, my whole life. And that was narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, once you hear those words, you can't really go back. <laughs> but the problem is back then, there was really nothing out there on the topic. There were no resources there. You know, I came across one article written by Dr. Carol McBride, and it was such a huge light bulb moment for me. And as confusing and as toxic as it was being married to a narcissist, I didn't realize that it can get worse. And that is when you start a divorce Mm -hmm. or a child custody battle. And so I call it a category five divorce hurricane. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm someone who avoids conflict at all costs. And I have a really difficult time with conflict. And so being thrust into this family court system um, turned my whole world upside down. And, uh, yeah. Would you say that, um, that is people's biggest mistake is, uh, when they are afraid of conflict by just giving the narcissist everything that they want, or what would you say creates 
that category five storm that you're talking about in a custody battle? What does that look like? So for me, I had been such a, you know, walking on eggshells and appeasing him and giving in and, and, you know, gave up all of my own needs throughout the marriage. And so that became, you know, I, I didn't even know what a boundary was (laughs) during our marriage. And so when I educated myself on narcissistic abuse, um, you know, putting up boundaries triggered him. Um, you know, he was so used to me just jumping through every hoop that he set out for me that when I started having a voice and becoming empowered through therapy, it really spun him. And, and so, you know, for me, for me, it became stalking, um, just really bizarre behavior, um, all kinds of things that I, you know, I say the day I got served divorce paperwork, it was literally like I was assigned my own personal terrorist. Mm -hmm. And that's truly how it, I mean, I ended up going from a a gated community to my local women's shelter Mm -hmm. and afraid for my life. And, you know, it just completely rocked me. Um, and, and it rocked him because he wasn't used to this empowered Tina. And, and I say, you know, I walked around for my entire life whispering. And then it was almost like someone handed me a bullhorn <laughs> and he didn't like that. <laughs> so, um, and, 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 um, it's interesting that you say that once you, once someone said those three words, narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, that the light bulb started going off. And I tell people that once the blinders come off, they don't go back on. Like you can't, once you see it, you can't unsee it. I compare it to that drawing that all of us saw when we were young, that on one side, it's uh, a very young, uh, youthful woman. On the other side, it is an elder, it it is an older woman. And, um, you know, when you're looking at it from one angle, some people only see the young woman, some people only see the older woman. But then once you see the entire picture, you're like, oh, it's two people like in one picture and you can't unsee it. You can see it 30 years later. You're like, oh, I remember seeing that in second grade or third grade. Um, And it's the same thing with NPD. What was that epiphany like? Did you feel like you were in denial? Did you feel like, you know, because back then there, you know, 2009, um, there wasn't TikTok. There wasn't this, this big movement with people with, uh, support groups and things. And so I can only imagine that probably felt you were already isolated with him. What was it like when those blinders started coming off back then? You know, it was interesting because when my therapist first, you know, shared that with me, I, it sounds, you know, people who haven't lived it or who aren't, I, I used to call myself a fixer. You know, when she told me he's a narcissist, I actually got excited. I thought, okay, now we now what do we do now how do we fix him <laughs> how do we save my marriage because i was just so thankful I, I equate it to you know if you're struggling with health problems and you finally get a diagnosis you're like fantastic at least i know what i'm dealing with now let's solve it and and i remember she just looked at me with this incredible compassion and said you don't fix this mm-hmm. you either learn that this is your life or you pack your bags and you get the hell out of there mm-hmm. And um, when I left her office that day, I was actually really angry. I was mm-hmm. like, how dare she? First of all, she's never met him. 
she doesn't know, you know, that I can, can or can't fix him. She can't tell me that. And so I went home and I told my husband, I said, my therapist said, you're, you're this word, you're a narcissist. Mm -hmm. And, and he was so confused. And so we looked it up together Mm -hmm. and we Googled it and, and he goes, you know, that sounds like my dad. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you and your dad are the same person. (laughs) So I'm like, at least, but still I was so hopeful and I wear rose colored glasses and, and the whole deal. And I was still going, okay, at least it's a foot in the door. At least I've started this conversation with him. And he's admitted it's at least in the family. And so I was still clinging to that hope. We ended up, he wanted a male psychologist Mm -hmm. to meet with both of us. Mm -hmm. And it had to be a man and it had to be a psychologist, couldn't be a therapist. Um, And so we ended up going to marital therapy for six months. And at the end of the six months, the therapist said, I really think we need to do a psyche eval. Like, I think there's something going on here. Mm -hmm. And that was the end of our marriage. It was a threat to him that someone saw through him. Mm -hmm. And then he accused me of manipulating the therapist. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was the end of the marriage. Um, I'm kind of curious to know this. uh, The, uh, a lot of people who go to marriage, uh, marriage therapists, the narcissist will coach them on what to say on the way there and will complain on the way home about the things that, that, uh, that they didn't say, or the things that they did say, if they brought up any issues, did you experience that at all? I didn't. So Mm -hmm. we, he lived a very, um, we were married, but I I always say I've never felt so alone in my life. Mm -hmm. We own businesses together. So I never saw him between his triathlons and work. Mm -hmm. So we would just drive and meet each other at Mm -hmm. their So I didn't personally experience that, but he is, his entire family is very big on image. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so to get him into a therapist's office, that alone was an incredible feat. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, And so how does this translate? So that was the end of the marriage. (laughs) Now you guys are uh, you already mentioned that, you know, what happened when you served the papers to him, then what was it like when you transitioned from that to the divorce battle? So I was about, you know, well, there was a tremendous amount of financial abuse in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, he had uh, spent or he had put us in debt over a million dollars behind my back. So I left the marriage and ended up in the women's shelter with less than $200 to my name, not a single savings account, retirement account. He had spent everything. Mm -hmm. And so I was truly at rock bottom. He was able to afford attorneys Mm -hmm. and I was not. Mm -hmm. So somebody who doesn't even like conflict and I find myself in the family court system acting as my own attorney looking like a deer in headlights because I never been through anything like this before. Um, I was so beaten down by the process and the constant litigation. It was about two years into it um, to where like I was literally sleeping with a hammer under my pillow because I think mine is, is more actually in the sociopath category. Yeah. That's, um, what I, that's what I was hearing with out of this as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And so I, for over a year, I, I slept with a hammer under my pillow and I carried around an industrial size can of mace around my house all day long because I truly lived in fear of my life for my life. And, um, so it was about two years into the battle and I just found that no one understood, you know, friends, family, even though they were very supportive, I would be telling them these stories and they're looking at you sideways going, there has to be more to it. Like, no, you know, and, and what is your part in it? I was just going to say, what did you do? Yeah. Like I Mm -hmm. am, you know, I always say I would be the best co-parent again with a healthy person. I would be the co-parent lotto (laughs) because that's just my personality. Um, And so out of sheer desperation, because I, I, truly didn't understand what was happening, I started a blog. Mm -hmm. And that was one mom's battle. Mm -hmm. And I intended for that to just be a way to purge what I was going through to try to make sense of it. And so I didn't have to repeat the stories to friends and family. Mm -hmm. And that caused a huge level of conflict, um, because he found out about the blog. And so of course, now we're in court talking about my blog and what I'm doing. Um, But then around that time, I was discovered by Christy Brinkley, who Mm -hmm. was also going through a divorce with a narcissist Mm -hmm. back then. And she and I connected and she ended up you know, putting my blog in the spotlight. And I started, you know, overnight, it went from 30, 40 views a month to 40,000 overnight. And so, you know, I went from just being this girl in a a little local courthouse in California to international attention. And um, so kind of this is how I got to be where I am today was very much um, that Mm -hmm. my battle you know, past that two year mark, we were in court, I mean, sometimes third, you know, once a month, sometimes more than once a month. And it was it was all consuming. I was a full time mom with two little little kids who were in preschool at the time. Wow. Acting as my own attorney working full time, you know, I was up at 3am trying to do court paperwork and prepare for hearings. And it's so much of it is a blur when Mm -hmm. I look back. Do you think that, I mean, obviously we can't go back now and, you know, change the past or anything like that. Do you think that things would have been different had you been able to have an attorney? I'm actually incredibly thankful hindsight that I Mm -hmm. didn't have an attorney. Mm -hmm. Um, I truly believe, even though I was out of my element, that I was my, my, children's best voice Mm -hmm. and best advocate. Mm -hmm. And I believe an attorney would have silenced me Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the time because, you know, they're very focused on the topics they want to control or where they think they can win. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the profession of attorneys, it's a lot of narcissists in there, a lot Mm -hmm. of egos. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, at the time I would have done anything to have Mm -hmm. an attorney. Mm -hmm. Looking back, I'm so glad I didn't. Mm -hmm. I I believe that the success that I experienced in my case, Mm -hmm. while it took a while, you know, I can't claim any successes until year six of my battle when the court finally started getting what was what I was up against. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't think I would be where I am today and that my kids would be safe if I had an attorney because I've had attorneys 
look at my case and go, I've never seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anyone with these, these types of orders. Mm -hmm. So. And, and what, what did that, um, you know, it obviously went for six years. How did you transition from, um, to, to these actually becoming wins for you? What, What did that look like the process in court? You know, for me, I, I celebrated every little victory, even mm-hmm. if it was chipping away three hours from his parenting time on a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, that was three hours of my daughters that I had to empower them because mm-hmm. the reality is when we have a parent who's a narcissist, we have to empower mm-hmm. our kids. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, it was the little wins that, you know, and I'd have huge setbacks and then little wins. And, and it started with, you know, I, Everyone told me you'll never get supervised visits. Mm-hmm. You know, he will never, he, he doesn't meet the criteria for that. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to listen to them. I'm like, mm-hmm. but he deserves them. So I'm going to yeah. keep asking for them. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to listen to the naysayers. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, kept my blinders on and kept going forward because I had to put my head on my pillow every night, knowing that my, that I was doing everything in my power to protect these little girls. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, for me, it was very much chipping away at the orders and the time he had until, you know, it was professionally supervised. Mm -hmm. And then what we know about narcissists, they can't, their egos can't handle a court order like that. So Mm -hmm. when I finally at year six secured professionally supervised visits permanently, I mean, we had been on a roller coaster with them. They'd give it to him and then let him have them again without a supervisor. And so it was just this constant roller coaster. When I finally secured a final custody order for supervised visits, he completely bailed. Um, he, we didn't see him for 14 months. Wow. And, and that was a huge opportunity for my kids to start to heal. You mm-hmm. know, we had peace during that time. The funny part, you'll appreciate this when he decided to come back in after 14 months, he wanted to exercise his first supervised visit on my 40th birthday. <laughs> of course. Yep. You can't make this no, stuff uh-uh. up. Um, so for, for those of you who are listening and are unaware of narcissism, the reason why that's funny to me is um, I, I, I say all the time that they love ruining uh, holidays, events, birthdays, and so for him to take advantage of that opportunity to try to ruin her birthday is very typical of a, of someone with um, this type of this personality type, uh, any Christmases. And you'll see this when you're co-parenting with them, they'll start arguments because narcissists love attention. And where, where a lot of people get confused is that they assume that narcissists only want positive attention. They want any attention. And sometimes the negative attention for them is better than the positive attention. They just want attention, whatever attention that they can get. Right. Wow. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to redo your 40th birthday then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually by that point I had pretty strong boundaries Mm -hmm. and I remember the supervisor called me and it's so typical of so many players in the court system and, and she said, well, no, we're, we're doing it on September 24th. He has a court order that allows him that weekend. And I said, well, I understand we do, but we haven't seen him in over a year. Mm-hmm. This is my 40th birthday. Mm-hmm. He can have another weekend and mm-hmm. he can put this back in front of the court if he wants to explain to them why he's been gone for 14 months and now wants to invade my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> so I held my boundary 
And it was the only time in that in my entire battle that I violated a court order. Mm-hmm. But I was like, no, he's not doing that, right. you know, mm-hmm. and I wanted time to get my kids in therapy to reintroduce him to yeah. their lives mm-hmm. because he had become a stranger. You know, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a big chunk of time right. for a child. So, um, but it was, so it was actually, that was a lot of the finale was him coming back in it, traumatizing my kids so badly that I ended up putting it back in front of the court and asking for a step up to mm-hmm. get, you know, reintroduce him. And I remember the judge looked at me and said, why are we allowing this kid, this guy into their lives? You know, somebody who can disappear for 14 months, this guy's a complete sociopath. Mm-hmm. And my eyes, I, you know, cause I had present, I had planned my spiel, which was going to be the very kumbaya. I want him to be a part of their lives, right. but I want to do it at their pace. And, mm-hmm. And that whole speech went out the window. I was mm-hmm. like, you're right, Your Honor. Why are we <laughs> letting him back in? Sure. Um, and then two, uh, a year and a half ago, I actually ended up putting it back in front of the court and we terminated his parental rights altogether. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at this point, he has zero mm-hmm. rights to our kids. Good, good. Uh, it's always nice to hear that when the good guys win, right? Yeah. And uh we, you know, one of the things that I love about your story, and I'm sure you didn't love it at the time, but it really illustrates that you really do have to fight, right? You really do have to fight. You, I tell people that you have to be the hero in your own story. Okay. And the thing that uh, I try to get through to people that I work with is that this is going, that there will come an end, but it, it's going to take longer than what you want. Right. Going into this, did you have like a certain expectation of how long you thought it would be versus what it really was? What was that like to you? No, I had no idea what to expect. I just thought, Oh, the divorce is final in six months. We start co-parenting, we move on. And, and what you just said, you know, I want to highlight that because one of the things I tell people is this is an ultra marathon. It's not even a marathon. The good news is the narcissist, they only train for a 10 K, mm-hmm. you know, some of them only train for a five K mm-hmm. their tactics and antics are really not sustainable and it's outpacing them. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's having that, you know, the tortoise and the hare mindset mm-hmm. of, you know, I, I'm going to just keep plugging away at this. And, you know, I had really dark days mm-hmm. and the key for me, I allowed myself to have a pity party. Mm-hmm. But I set an end time because I didn't have the luxury of staying in bed and, you know, eating bonbons for a week. Right. I had two kids, <laughs> depending right. two on two young kids, two young kids. And so it was very much, okay, I'm allowed, this sucks. I'm mm-hmm. allowed to uh, feel all the feels and be angry and shake my fists at the sky. But then you have to dust yourself off and try again. Yeah. And, you know, I hear on this point, I hear so many people say, you know, I, why am I even fighting? You know, I I'm doing all this documentation. No one's listening. And like, you can have that mentality. I mean, whatever you will, what works for you, for me, I can say, you know, one of the things I pride myself on and I teach people is documentation Mm -hmm. and 99% of my documentation has never been seen by anyone in the Mm -hmm. court system, but it was that 1% 
that protected my kids mm -hmm. and it's why I have peace today. So I'd go back and do it all over again. And it very well, it was a full-time job mm -hmm. and it does feel like it's in vain, but he wasn't doing that on no. his end, mm -mm. He, you know, and if he did, it was the 10 K mentality where mm -hmm. I'm in this for an ultra marathon. <laughs> Let's mm -hmm. go. Yeah. Um, Cause these are my babies. And, uh, and I'll uh, just, so I just, my two cents, I wouldn't even say it's a 10 K marathon. It's a sprint for them. You know, it's right. uh, you know, wh yeah. whatever, whatever works at the time, they're just throwing spaghetti at the wall, see what sticks, Right. you know, if they find something that sticks, then, you know, they might go a little bit longer, you know, but uh, whatever, uh, whatever they can throw their, their gas on whatever flame that they can get. Right. Yeah. And, um, cause no, and sometimes it's so bizarre. Like I remember my ex-husband, we were about two or three years into the battle and we're in court and he says, your honor, I don't even know that our marriage was valid because we were married in Hawaii. And I'm like, wait a minute. That is one of the 50 states. If Britney Spears marriage in Las Vegas was valid, mine's valid. <laughs> and, but, but that just, and this is a guy who is very smart, mm -hmm. you know, and, and makes good money. And, and you're like, did he really just say that? Yeah. But it's true. They will just throw out whatever that they think could work. Right. Even if it's completely bizarre and not even reality based. And it's part of the word salad. This yeah. literally whatever works. And, and I'm glad you brought up the point that, you know, he's very intelligent because narcissists are very intelligent, which becomes a part of their right. charisma. And because right. they're so intelligent, people just assume that they must know what they're talking about. You know, that becomes right. a part of the danger. Um, and so um, you mentioned dark days. Um, tell us, because I know a lot of people struggle with that it, with right. while they're in the middle of the battle. Um, going through those dark days. And obviously when you're in it, it's very different when you're, when, you know, you're on the outside looking in, but what are some things that you did to take care of yourself to get through those dark days when you felt like, cause you've mentioned that it's not like you're winning every single court system, every single right. court date that you had, right. what was it like? How did you keep yourself encouraged? How did you keep yourself going in those situations? Therapy for me was critical. It was a non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I made that an absolute priority. Um, even if I could only go once a month just to have that checkpoint. Mm -hmm. um, journaling, which actually turned into my blog, was probably the the single most healing thing that I've done because it was it was a way to process it. And you know, in my first book that I wrote, one of the things I did was go all the way back to meeting him and examining the red flags. I call them red flag reflections through my mm -hmm. book. And so for me, it was going backwards and honestly owning my part of it mm -hmm. because there were red flags and mm -hmm. I overlooked those. I, you know, I choose to see the best in people. Well, sometimes that is not a, a mm -hmm. good decision. Yeah. And, and so for me, it was going back and going, okay, you know, I own this. I made this choice. Um, to get into this relationship, even though it was with a complete scam artist, mm -hmm. I, I had to own my part of it. And that was for me a personal um, healing journey um, because I don't, I'm not the victim type. I don't want, that's not my, the card I'm going to play. Um, but, but journaling and, you know, it just sounds so cliche, but gratitude, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just recently found the journal I started keeping back in 2009 and mm -hmm. 
um, you know, every day I forced myself to write down three things I was grateful for. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was just my next breath. If mm -hmm. that was all I could find in that day, Right. But it was something I, I, it was an absolute for me and it was so incredibly helpful. Sounds like you were practicing something we both talk about radical acceptance. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That is key. And, and I feel like, um, that came naturally to me mm -hmm. that I'm very much, you know, I can be pissed about something and, and work through it for a few days, but okay, we're here and now, and now what? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and I know with a lot of my clients, they struggle with that. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's something I constantly put back on their plate and help mm -hmm. them to be aware of. It's like, you know, I could sit here all day and talk about, um, you know, the fact that family court, you're not going to get justice there. If you're mm -hmm. looking for validation in the family court system, you're not mm -hmm. managing your expectations appropriately. Right. And you're not practicing radical acceptance. No. You're here, you're now, we're in a broken system. And now mm -hmm. what? Yep. You know, that's kind of, um, so I feel like I can be kind of harsh dishing that oh, out. Oh, no, people. no, you have to. I, I am too. I'm very direct with people. Um, yeah. That's the reason why, uh, I don't know if you've done this, but uh, that's the reason why I have, so people can work with me one-on-one, -on -one, but I also have a group that's run by my assistant that when people are not ready for the very direct where I'm pushing people. Okay. And um, because some people, they're just not ready for that very direct in your face approach. Right. And, right. Um, you know, they're still kind of learning. They may have, you know, just yesterday discovered that this person just discovered that this person is a narcissist and like, I know I need to leave, but I really don't know what's going on. And, you know, so instead of throwing them to the sharks, you know, we're like, okay, let's get you <laughs> into the kiddie pool for a little bit. And then, um, you know, we'll, and then we'll fuzzies, exactly. warm fuzzies. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, uh, you mentioned, uh, let's get into the, some of these custody battles that you're working with people. Uh, and you, you talk often about the system being broken. Uh, right. Can you tell us a little bit more about the system being broken and what, do, what does that mean? And how do you work this? How do you work with a, a broken system? Oh boy, that is a big topic. You know, a, a huge part of the issue is that judges and, and the people running our systems and our governments and our programs are so highly narcissistic themselves mm -hmm. that they have a hard time, um, you know, recognizing the problems in front of them. Mm -hmm. And then there's a huge victim blaming mentality in the court system. And I remember it was about two years into it when I was appealing to the court to help protect my kids and the judge looked at me and he said, you chose to marry this guy. You chose to have not one, but two children with him. You can't come into my courtroom and expect me to solve your problems. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I will tell you, you know, that was such a punch in the gut. Mm -hmm. But I'm grateful for those words mm -hmm. because it allowed me to practice radical acceptance, mm -hmm. stop thinking of the court system as my savior. It's mm -hmm. not their job to fix my problems. Mm -hmm. And that sounds harsh, to, but it is the reality of the system. Mm -hmm. And so then it was adjusting my sales and going, you know, this is less about, you know, I can't, you can't bring emotions into the courtroom. It's about strategy. Bingo. I, I yeah. want to interject there real quick. Um, one of the things I tell people I work with is that the court, and this is not me victim blaming, but, the, but they don't like victims in there is what is what it comes down to. You go yep. in there, you stay matter of fact, and you tell the story. 
stick with the behaviors. But if you go in there and if you paint a picture of you being a victim, they do not like it whatsoever. They want to know the facts, the black and the white, the details of what happened and the behavior. Right. And, and that is, you know, even if it's a judge that's not narcissistic, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of the, the mistakes that I see people making are going in there expecting, you know, we know who the other party is. Mm-hmm. We know how bad the narcissist is. But what I tell people is, you know, when I sit in the courtroom as an advocate, just, you know, there to support someone and I can put myself in the judge's shoes. And if I'm watching a case where I don't know either party, that person could be the best pathological liar. You know, Mm -hmm. she's saying all of these horrible things about her husband, but there's no proof. And how do we know she's not just a really good liar? And so I have a different perspective as an observer now Mm -hmm. than I was as a litigant because, you know, I, I knew who he was. I knew how bad he was. And it's so easy to be driven by emotions in Mm -hmm. those moments. And, you know, I say nature intended for me to protect my kids. Mm -hmm. You walk into the court system, they tie your hands behind your back. Mm -hmm. And now what? Mm -hmm. And, And so, you know, really putting the emotion to the side, observing family court and watching attorneys and the direction they go and figuring out that this is all strategy. And this is all, you know, really... Like you said, being precise in your mm-hmm. delivery, not, you know, cut out all the fluff. What is the problem? And then what are the examples to mm-hmm. prove it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because they don't, whether the judges are so narcissistic or they're just suffering from compassion fatigue mm-hmm. because they hear and see the worst side of humanity day in and day out, that wears on you. Mm-hmm. So when you come in with emotions, they immediately take a step back. And Mm -hmm. for so many who are divorcing narcissists, it's, you know, your concerns are largely based on emotional abuse, psychological Mm -hmm. abuse. Those are really hard to prove number Mm -hmm. one, but then number two, when the courts are seeing, you know, children who have been beaten to the point Mm -hmm. they're in ICU. And then I come in and say that my ex-husband is neglectful and didn't give my daughter the right dose of Tylenol. They're like, but your kid's not an ICU. <laughs> like, what's your problem? Why are you here wasting our time? Yeah. So, you know, you're on a scale of severe abuse. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't even hit on their radar. One of the things that uh, I learned, I, I was a, uh, an advocate between, um, um, a liaison, I'm sorry, between um, CPS and uh, the New York family court system. One of the terminology that they used to use is, is it disagreeable or is it unacceptable? If someone comes in and if they're explaining, if they're talking about um, physical abuse, everyone agrees that that's unacceptable. Right. If you go in and you say, um, you know, if you talk about passive aggressive behavior, that's disagreeable, right. you know? And so I, people I work with, I try to coach them through that. You know, if it's disagreeable, that's not something we want to bring up. Right. The things that are completely unacceptable, completely uncalled for. That's the stuff we really want to focus on. A lot, you know, I think that a lot of, and you may and chime in on this as well. I'm curious to know your thoughts. I tell people you would much rather go in with, um, with 10 things that are really strong than to go in with 20 that 10 are strong. And then another 10 that are kind of weak. You would much rather them focus on the 10 items that are really, really strong, really, really potent 
factual based, we have evidence than to like try to overwhelm them with so much evidence, right? We, you know, we'd much rather have a, a very strong 10 points. Absolutely. And that's, you know, when I look back at my battle as a whole, in the very beginning, before I understood the strategy aspect of court, and before I understood the system as a whole, um, and who I was up against, uh, you know, one of my biggest regrets, or, you know, things I would have done differently is that I didn't choose my battles wisely. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't understand what the court cared about. And I overwhelmed them with the 20 things or the 30 things instead of the 10 powerful ones. Mm-hmm. And, and the courts appreciate that because, you know, they're, it's like a, a cattle call system. They're just mm-hmm. turning people through all day long. And the details, a, a judge sees a stack of papers and they're rolling their eyes going, you know, I've had my judge sit down on the bench with my stack of paper and go, I haven't had time to read this yet. Give me a minute. And they're mm-hmm. just, giving it right in front of you. And that's what happens in chambers too. Mm -hmm. So the most powerful direct examples you can give and being aware of what they care about is a much easier avenue than, you know, creating a long haul out of it. And it's even worse now with COVID with everyone being backed up with COVID. With uh, You know, um, you know, I know a lot of cases are very backed up. I know that that skimming, I'm sure, is is have is happening even more because they're so backed up. You know, you have Zoom calls instead of people actually showing up. Right. And uh, there, these cases, I mean, you you have people that are going back to court after, you know, five, ten years after already being divorced on top of current divorces. Right. You know, and a lot of COVID in itself has already increased a lot of divorces because right. people are losing their jobs and people want it out anyway. And so it is completely backed up. But what has been your experience with court and COVID and people that you've been working with? It's an absolute nightmare. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that stands out to me, like most judges, I know mine was, was trained in body language. Mm-hmm. So when you've got like my ex-husband, he would sit up on the stand and you can tell he was nervous or, you know, fidgeting or, you know, the anger. Um, When I would talk, Mm -hmm. you could, you know, I knew my judge was paying attention to all of those things with Zoom. You can mask so much of that. Mm -hmm. And, And so you don't get the full effect. And. You know, I've seen in several cases where, you know, the narcissist gets caught in a lie or the judge is pressing them on something and all of a sudden their internet connection goes off and they're, they're not available now and they can't log back on. And so there's just, you know, those little details. Um, it, it's just not, it's, it's a horrible situation. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, I remember when COVID first started, and, and I, I predicted right away when, when they had, and a lot of schools were announcing we're going to do an extended spring break, the narcissists who had spring break that year mm-hmm. decided uh, now my spring break is extended until mm-hmm. June. <laughs> and so yeah. people were keeping little tiny kids from mm-hmm. their primary parent. And, you know, we talk about the gray areas and the loopholes. Mm-hmm. Talk about a gray area that COVID created in so many different areas, it, it's just a recipe for disaster. There was that. And my favorite was when, uh, at least here in, well, I know other places did too, but when um, schools were going back, you would have, because in Texas, you had a choice. 
you had a choice on whether you wanted to keep your, your kids in or out. Well, another gray shaded area. Well, what right. the narcissists were doing in a lot of situations were uh, it didn't matter if your child was high risk. They would always go opposite of what the other parent wanted, you know, and so that became another nightmare because if, if you were just absolutely, let's, let's say your, your, child, your child was high risk and like, why would you even consider sending them back? Right. And knowing, but knowing that the narcissist always goes in the opposite direction of what you want, it doesn't matter if your kids are being exposed or putting them in harm's way, as long as it's causing chaos for you, they right. will do it. And so right. that, that was a, a major problem down this way. And I know in some other States too, but um, Texas sticks out to me because um, you know, I just know that we were, we, they gave us options here, but uh, yeah. it is never, never an easy task dealing with them. So yeah. well, great. Um, well, I, I would love your closing thoughts on anything you, anything you might have. Um, I think you and I could probably talk all day. So we'll probably I have to we have, <laughs> we'll have to do this again for sure at some point yeah. in time, but what are some, um, give us, maybe one or two closing, closing thoughts for people who might be in a similar situation, going through a divorce, you know, just kind of going through that, going through that battle. One of the things that I like to share with people, especially those who, you know, when there's kids involved, you've already won, you're going to lose so many battles. You're going to get beat down by this system. I've yet to see a perfect, you know, outcome in family court. Um, but keeping in mind that you've won the war, you know, you have the ability to have an authentic connection and bond with your children and love them unconditionally. And, you know, the narcissist, even if they can fool the kids and play Disneyland parent for, for quite a while, it's not sustainable and they lack that bond. And so, you know, it, that is so important to keep in mind that you've won mm -hmm. no matter what happens. Great. Tina Swithin, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for being on with us. She is a divorce coach, family court advocate. You can find her on her website, One Mom's Battle. You can also email her, Tina, at onemomsbattle.com. And uh, you can also find her on right, right there with me. I uh, duet her videos quite often on TikTok as well. So, Tina, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care, Matt. You too. Keep your head to the sky, spread your wings wide, show me where you can fly, baby, baby, show me where you can fly, show me where you can fly, dream a bit, keep your head to the sky, spread your wings wide, show me where you can fly, baby, baby, show me where you can fly, show me where you can fly, dream big, now the tone we dream big, it's all we take with us, the things we did, dream big, yeah, just dream big. That's what my nana said. Dream big, what we told me, dream big. It's all we take with us and the things we did. Dream big, yeah. Just dream big, yeah. That's what my brother said.